0: All right, so, our, uh, our message today, I've titled the message, um, Gospel Mission, a Team Effort. And, you know, it, it's interesting how, how God works and how God, you know, speaks. And I am a firm believer that, you know, every time I come up here, I'm a firm believer that, that God wants to speak. To us, and that you know, I'm looking for him to basically, you know, show me what, what you know, what's the tax, what's the emphasis, and um, you know, what do you what do you want to say? I absolutely believe that God speaks to uh, his people today, and he speaks to us, uh, you know, through a variety of ways, primarily through his word, but but he really speaks to us during these times. I, I believe that, and I hope you get that and understand that and, you know, since it, since that God is speaking. But, uh, so a few weeks ago, I I mentioned last week that I wanted to finish up the book of Acts before I, I leave for Europe, uh, at the end of July. And so, you know, I sat down, I I think there were, I think we were about 10 weeks out and I just kind of mapped out the messages for the next 10 weeks and, you know, it's good. And I've been kind of right on course. Uh, with what I thought. But then last week when I finished up you know, pr- preparing for last week's message and was kind of already thinking about today, suddenly it was like the Lord said, nope, that's not where you're going. This is where you're going. And I just had this sense like, okay, wow, God wants to kind of redirect us here and talk specifically about just this whole idea of uh, ministry teams, that, that, the, that the effort to, to get the gospel out to the world, is a, it's a team effort. It's not, uh, there's not any one person. There's not any one church. There's not any one denomination or movement that's going to do that. Uh, it, it's a collective effort. It's, it's a team effort. And as we've been going through Acts here, uh, there, there have been several people that we have read about and maybe even mentioned who are, they're sort of like the supporting cast. Uh, you know, like in a film, you've got your main um, you know, actors, you've got your stars, your co-stars, and then you've got the supporting cast. And as we're going through Acts, you know, the focus has been on a few people, the primary focus. So uh, there was a, a time here in Acts where Peter was sort of the, the main focus, and then there were a number of people around him that were included in the story. And, and now, as we're making our journey through, we've come to Paul and his ministry. That's kind of the main focus. But there's all kinds of supporting uh, cast uh, around Paul. Paul was a team guy. And so what I really sense that we needed to do today was go back and look at some of those people that are uh, connected to Paul, some that we've been reading about here. So we're going to look at five different people today, and uh, they are Silas, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos. So every one of them are are mentioned in the passage that we read today. But but what we're going to see is that, you know, these were the people that God brought around the Apostle Paul. These are the people that Paul invited to join him in uh, the ministry. And and these are the people that God used to advance the gospel in that generation. And all of that to remind us that uh, that's what we're about. Because as a church, we are about Uh, the mission of the gospel. And the mission of the gospel is seeing people get saved, come to faith in Christ, and get uh, built up in their faith through the process of discipleship uh, to discover the gifts and the calling upon uh, your life that God has placed there, and then to help you engage in those gifts and calling. And so as we look at this Uh, subject today of of the team, that's really my ultimate objective is to encourage you, to remind you that it is a team effort. You are part of the team. And so God has a plan. And let's see through these different people, uh, how he might uh, speak to us today. So beginning with Silas. So Silas Uh, We were introduced to Silas back in the 15th chapter of Acts. And uh, for those of you that maybe don't remember the details, Silas was one of the leading men in the Jerusalem church who was then sent by the elders in Jerusalem to Antioch, which was the center of Gentile Christianity. Uh, So Silas was sent back with Paul and Barnabas after the big discussion that took place in Jerusalem about whether the Gentiles needed to adhere to the Mosaic law. And the answer was, no, they didn't. And so uh, the elders in Jerusalem, they wrote a letter, they gave it to Paul and Barnabas, said, take it back to uh, Antioch, to the Gentiles there. And here, we're going to send with you Judas, and we're going to send Silas. And these two are going to be our representatives. So Silas comes uh, along with another man named Judas. And He's there to say, uh, I'm from Jerusalem, and everything Paul and Barnabas are telling you in this letter, uh, this is the decision that's come down from the the elders in Jerusalem. Now, then Silas decides, rather than go back to Jerusalem, he's going to stay in Antioch, and and ultimately, he becomes the traveling companion and the co-laborer with the apostle Paul. Now, maybe you remember, as we've been going through here, uh, there, there was a point where Paul and Barnabas were the, the ministry team. They were partnering together. They had a dispute that caused them to separate, go, there, go their separate ways. It ended up, we pointed this out, it, in the end it was all good, they, they were reconciled. But when Paul and Barnabas separated, uh, Silas, in a sense, took the place of Barnabas. So he becomes that person who's right there uh, along with Paul, going on these missionary journeys right there, preaching with Paul, ministering, uh, follow up with Paul to the new converts. Uh, we read about him in Philippi when, uh, when Paul was arrested and put in jail and beaten. Silas was there with him and he went through the exact same thing. And um, was, uh, Paul's ministry companion, but he's a person that we don't hear much about his background prior to just being a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Um, and yet he's a key player in the story. Uh, he's mentioned four other times in the new Testament Outside of the book of Acts, he's mentioned in 2 Corinthians, and Peter mentions him. Uh, The old translation, if you have like a King James version, he's called Silvanus. Silvanus and Silas are the same person. Uh, In the newer translations, he's just referred to as Silas. But he is mentioned in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. When Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica he addresses them that the letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, these are the guys who would have gone into Thessalonia with the gospel. And so, so Silas is a person, here's my point here, Silas is a person who we don't know much about, but he was obviously a key figure in the ministry in those early days. And you know, this is just generally a truth. There are many, many people that we might never hear of, and yet they've had a tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. You know, once in a while, I will, I, will, I don't know, through various means, I'll come into contact with people that I've never heard of before. And yet they are doing a tremendous work for the kingdom of God. You think, wow, I thought I kind of knew everything that was going on in the church. And then you realize, no, I don't, I don't know half of it. There's, God has all kinds of people out there. And he's had that uh, from the very beginning with people like this. So, so Silas is the first person, um, but Timothy is also part of this story. Now, Timothy, we were introduced to Timothy in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, and um, I I think anybody who has maybe been a Christian for a little while, Timothy is probably a much more familiar name than Silas even. Uh, One of the reasons for that is that there are two letters in the New Testament that were directed to Timothy. They are, we call them, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. But these were letters that were written by Paul to this uh, young man, Timothy. Now, now, Timothy, according to what we see in scripture, was a young man with an obviously genuine faith in Christ. We know he was young uh, because Paul actually references his youth. He says to Timothy, when he writes to him, he says, let no one despise your youth. So there's questions as to, you know, just how old Timothy might've been. I I personally would guess that he was in his late teens or probably early twenties when he met up with Paul. But here's what happened. Paul went into the area of uh, Lystra and we read there in Acts 16, that there was a certain disciple there named Timothy, uh, the son of a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. And here's the key. He was well-spoken of by the brothers who were at Lystra and Iconium? So here's this young guy who is basically impressed uh, the leaders of the church. So he was a young guy that they looked at and said, "Man, this, this guy Timothy, th- he's amazing. He's young, but he's obviously very uh, devoted." Uh, his faith was, was genuine. And Paul even commented on that when he wrote to him. He talked about the genuine faith that was in Timothy. And, and Paul says, this is the same faith that was in your mother. And it was the same faith that your grandmother had as well. Uh, we know that Timothy had uh, been raised, his, his father was a Greek, his mother was Jewish. We know that his mother did a great job in instilling Uh, the truth of the scripture in Timothy, because Paul, when he writes to Timothy uh, later, he says, from a child, from your earliest days, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make one wise to salvation. So Timothy is a really impressive young man. So Paul comes and he's introduced to Timothy and Paul basically says, Hey, come and join my team, join my ministry team. And Timothy agreed to do that. But then what we read is that Paul took Timothy and circumcised him. Now, like I said, Timothy's, you know, a young man. Uh, Circumcision was normally the thing that you did, you know, for infants. And occasionally, of, of course, if a person would convert to Judaism, they would go through circumcision. But circumcision was a painful experience it was uh, an uncomfortable experience, especially for uh, a grown-up. And you know, that kind of gives us a little bit of insight into Timothy in that although he was a young guy, he wasn't really primarily concerned about taking the easy route. He wasn't really mainly concerned about his own comfort. He was willing to experience discomfort uh, so that he could follow the Lord. And that, that's a great trait. And all of those young people that have uh, been used by God, and even many today, this is, this is something that you see in them. They're, they're willing to step out of their comfort zone because you have to be. If you're gonna serve the Lord, then you can be sure that there's gonna be some point where he's gonna direct you to something that is bit of a challenge, something that's not quite, you know, exactly what you wanted, uh, something that's maybe going to put you out of your comfort zone. And so there's going to have to be a sacrificial element. And we see that Timothy was willing to do that. And so Paul took him, he circumcised him, not for spiritual reasons, but practically because Paul knew that um, uh, Timothy's father being a Greek uh, the Jews that were opposed to Paul would have used that against Timothy, but the fact that he was circumcised indicated that he was uh, emphasizing the Jewish side of things. So it was a, it was a means of just avoiding uh, conflict. Now, Timothy, according to what we know from the writings of Paul, uh, Timothy had been prophesied over. So what that means is he was a young guy And God had spoken through others about Timothy. There there were prophecies concerning him. And at a certain point, Paul will say to Timothy, he will encourage him to be strong. And he'll say, uh, draw strength from those prophecies that were uh, made over you. In other words, Timothy, remember, God spoke these things. God uh, gave words to you that were very personal that he was with you and that he was going to use you so when you get into those challenging and difficult seasons fall back on those prophecies remember those things one of the things that we see again from the writings is that Timothy was a timid personality so he was strong in his faith he was deeply committed but he was kind of shy he he had a tendency to sort of draw back a little bit and and Paul has to encourage him uh, not to, to let that timid side dominate him. Paul would say, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And so he, he encouraged Timothy there. And he also reminded Timothy that it was through the laying on of hands that he had received those gifts that were demonstrated in his life. Paul actually refers to, on, on the one Uh, hand. He talks about the the laying on the hand of the elders, but then Paul includes himself that he had actually laid hands on Timothy. Paul referred to Timothy as his son in the faith. Now, Paul had a lot of associations, but Timothy seems to be uh, unique in this sense that out of all of the people uh, that Paul was connected with, this is probably the closest relationship that he had, considered him a son. He, uh, he said this in writing to the Philippians about Timothy, who they would have known because Timothy was there with them when, they, when the church was established in Philippi. But he said this later. He said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So that's what Paul says about Timothy. He says, you know, I've got no one like him. Timothy is unique. Everyone is seeking their own things, but not Timothy. Timothy is is very much uh, devoted to the things of Christ. So Timothy was appointed by Paul uh, as the leader of the church in Ephesus at one point. Uh, Timothy was uh, imprisoned. We know he was in prison because Hebrews uh, 13 talks about his release from prison. Timothy has been released from prison. Uh, and uh, I will see you with him shortly. And also one other thing about Timothy is that he was the one who um, it seems that Paul saw as his successor. So at the end of Paul's life, the very last letter that Paul writes is to Timothy. Second Timothy is what we call it. But that was Paul's last letter. And he writes to Timothy and he basically says, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And, you know, he's basically saying, now I'm leaving. I'm going to be with the Lord. Paul was going to be executed by Nero, which he, of course, was. Uh, but he says to Timothy, basically, he says, Timothy, everything that I have poured into you, everything that I have shown you, it's, it's now your turn. You are now to take the lead. And, and Timothy did uh, rise to the occasion. Timothy is mentioned 19 times outside of the book of Acts. So you see, although... Um, you know, again, he's in a sense in the story here, he's kind of a background person, yet we see that he played a significant role in the, the foundation of the early church and in the ministry of Paul. And may I say that uh, just like Timothy was a young person, man, we need young people on the team. God, God is calling young men and women to, to step up, just like Timothy did. And there's sacrifice that's involved. There's a, a calling out from maybe the, the comfort zone or maybe maybe the plans that you've had. But you know, God does those kinds of things. And I, I can think back over you know, many years now about uh, you know, many of the young people that God has called uh, into the ministry, and equipped them and, uh, you know, raised them up and gifted them and has used them and is using them. And that that can't stop. That has to keep going from generation to generation. So maybe today you're a, a younger person and you're wondering about, well, you know, what what about my life? What's God's plan for me? Well, know this, God's plan is for you to be part of the team, his team, team Jesus, and he's got a purpose that he wants you to accomplish, and he's got gifts that he's going to give you to do that very thing. So Silas, Timothy, and now we come to a couple, Aquila and Priscilla and we were introduced to them in the beginning of uh, the 18th chapter there. Of course, we're told that they came from Rome because they were expelled as Jews. uh, Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome, and they came and they met Paul in uh, Corinth. Now, uh, they were obviously a husband and wife, but they were a husband and wife ministry team You know that's a a beautiful thing, a husband and wife ministry team. Now, now sometimes, you know, in in sometimes in a marital situation, you've got one person that really wants to serve the Lord, and the other one's like, "No, I'm I'm too busy, or you know, I got other plans." Uh, That that's not good. God wants to use husbands and wives together. He wants to use you together as a ministry team. Now, of course. I mean, obviously, there are some cases where um, there there's not a, a connection because one of the one of the persons is is not a believer. So we're not talking about that, but we're talking about the people who are two believers married together. See yourselves not just as a couple, but see yourselves as a ministry team, because that's how God wants to use you. They were a ministry team, but another interesting thing about them is that they were business partners as well. They had a business. This is how they met Paul. They were tent makers by trade. And um, tent makers is, uh, that's kind of limiting for what the word actually means. It's broader than that. They, They made tents, but they worked with leather. They worked with fabric and they had a business. And so they were business partners, and it was through that business that they connected with Paul. It was undoubtedly through that business that they, of course, supported themselves. But as we look at the bigger picture of, of these two in the scripture, they were a tremendous support to many, and probably through their business endeavors, they supported the work of the ministry, even financially as well. but as we look at the, the broader picture of them outside of the book of Acts for a moment, we know that they were, um, they, they led a church in their home. So there was a church in their home. And at a certain point, Paul, uh, makes reference to the church in the home of these two Priscilla and Aquila. And then, um, what we see here in the text, of course, is their uh, influence on Apollos. Apollos is the last person that we're going to look at. But he was tremendously influenced by this couple. Now, Apollos becomes uh, a very significant voice in the early church, actually kind of seen right alongside of Paul and Peter, seen as, as an apostolic person. But he started out with a zeal and somewhat of a knowledge, but his knowledge was not quite uh, thorough enough. He, w- he was lacking in something. And it was these two that identified that weakness and they reached out to him and brought him into a more thorough knowledge and, and helped him in his ministry. So it's, it's really a beautiful picture of this uh, you know married couple maybe a little bit older than Apollos. They're committed to the ministry and they look at him and say, man, we can help this guy. They saw the gifts in his life. We can help him and they did. Now, one of the things that I wanna point out about these two is uh, this interesting fact. Now, in the King James or New King James Version, which are based on the same ancient text. uh, These two are mentioned six times. In the NIV or the ESV or the other modern translations, which comes from a different ancient text, uh, they're very very similar, but there there are some differences. They're mentioned seven times. So we're gonna go with the seven references to them in uh, the text, but here's my point. Out of the seven times they're mentioned, five of those times, Priscilla's name precedes Aquila's name. So normally you would read something like Aquila and Priscilla because the husband and the wife. But five out of the seven references have Priscilla first. Why is that? Well, we don't know. But (laughs) it seems to indicate something about Priscilla it seems to indicate that she was quite a spiritual force and probably the more forceful personality. Aquila was probably more of a, kind of a laid back type of a person, probably uh, you know, a, a little quieter, uh, but somehow the, re- the reference, like I said, five out of the seven times, ends up putting her out in the front. And, and I understand that because um, <laughs> I'm married to a woman that's kind of like Priscilla. And, uh, and she's, you know, out there in the front and, you know, she's got that excitement and I'm kind of, you know, sometimes anyway, kind of a laid back uh, party there between the two of us. But, but what it also tells me is, you know, it, it just reminds us that God wants to use ladies, just like he wants to use men. And God will use women to instruct. And here we see clearly that that's what happened. This wasn't like, hey, you know, Apollos needs help. Priscilla, you be quiet because you're a woman. And here, let me take care of this. It was like, no way, man, both of them. And Priscilla seems to take the lead here. Uh, Priscilla, in the, in the new text, her, her name is, um, or the, the older Greek text, uh, her name is put first. So, so she's kind of leading the charge here. And again, it just shows us that God uses teams of people and he uses husband and wife teams and they both have uh, giftings and, and contributions to make in a number of areas Including discipleship. But that brings us to the person they discipled, Apollos. Now, again, Apollos is a person that we don't know anything about his history, except he was born in Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is part of Egypt. It was a city that uh, was built in honor of uh, Alexander the Great. And it, it was a It was a great Jewish center outside of uh, Jerusalem. A large Jewish population, it was in Alexandria that the Greek text of the Old Testament was uh, produced. So 200 years before the time of Christ, the, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, comes down to us, known as the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. It was made in Alexandria. And uh, Alexandria was also the home of a, of a famous philosopher, the most famous Jewish philosopher uh, probably ever. His name was Philo. He was actually a contemporary of Jesus. He tried to merge Jew, Jewish Hebrew ideas with Greek ideas. He tried to blend the two together. Uh, but Alexandria was known as a place of um, Jewish culture, and uh, it was an intellectual center for Jew- Jews. So like Athens was an intellectual center for the Gentiles. Uh, and Alexandria would have been that as well for some, but it was, it was kind of the intellectual center of Judaism at the time. So this is what we know about Apollos. He was born in Alexandria. So uh, presumably he grew up there as well. But then we're told about him that he was eloquent and he was mighty in the scriptures. So Priscilla and Aquila, they're in Ephesus. Um, As as you look at the text here, Paul is gone. Uh, He was in Ephesus just briefly after Corinth. He stopped in, in Ephesus. He left Aquila and Priscilla there, and he went on to actually go up to Jerusalem, to visit Jerusalem. And then he went uh, from there back on that same circuit and he'll end up once again in Ephesus. So Paul's gone for probably a year. It's funny that Luke covers a a year's period of time in a few verses. And unless you're looking really closely at what it says, you don't realize that that's what's happening, But, but he's covering at least a year span of time. And so it's during that time, Aquila and Priscilla are in Ephesus and Apollos comes, and being a Jew, they, they, of course, all would have gone into the synagogue. And so they would have heard Apollos there, and they realized two things about him. He was eloquent, and he was mighty in the scriptures. Man, this guy can, this guy can articulate the truth, and he knows the truth, but there was a deficiency. And what happened is they recognized that even though he was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures, that he didn't have the whole picture. He only had part of it. And uh, he knew, he had experienced John's baptism. He knew about the way of the Lord Jesus, but apparently he didn't know the, the full story. Or probably he didn't really know all the implications of um, you know, the death and resurrection of, of Christ and so forth. We don't, we don't know what was lacking, but there was something that was noticeably lacking. They saw this, and being the, the pure-hearted, uh, you know, Christ-centered people that they were, they looked at Apollos and said, man, we have got to help this guy, because this guy could be a powerful force if he just got, you know, a few things sorted out here. Uh, unlike some people who might listen to someone <clears throat> and find fault in their message and then dismiss them, or uh, you know warn people, hey, don't you know, watch out for that guy; he, he's got some some weird stuff there. Uh, they saw the deficiency and said, "We we've got to help him." They could see in him that uh, gifting. You know, there there is a tendency a lot of times to, un- unfortunately. Uh, to write people off way too quickly or to dismiss them because they might not have everything exactly right. I was listening to a a guy on a podcast yesterday. He's excellent. Uh, He himself was superb, but in the course of his message, he was referencing a number of different preachers and authors and so on. And it was funny as I was listening to him because uh, he, he was quoting people that I know some, some of my friends would say, oh man, he quoted that guy. Forget him. We, we're not even going to listen to him now because he quoted that guy. Um, you know, that's really not the healthiest mentality. A a better attitude is the one of these two here where they were not critical of Apollos. They appreciated his gifting and they said, man, we, we've got to help him." So that's what they did. They took him, and the NIV says that they brought him into their home. So they basically, you know, imagine they're in the synagogue, they're listening to Apollos, they're thinking, wow, this guy is phenomenal, but he doesn't quite get the whole thing. Hey, Apollos, come over and have dinner with us. We want to talk to you about the Lord, and we want to share with you. And that's exactly what happened. So he went with them and they instructed him. And one of the things that we see that's implied here with Apollos is that he was obviously a humble guy because he received the instruction. Now, not everybody can do that. You know, some people would just say, well, hey, you know, who are you to teach me? I mean, I don't need you to help me. I've I've got it all figured out on my own, or I will figure it out on my own. But Apollos is, evidently, he's a very teachable person. Now, Apollos is mentioned eight times outside of the book of Acts. Seven of those references are found in 1 Corinthians. And now here's the interesting thing about Apollos connected back to Paul, because remember, all of these people are part of Paul's team. And this is something that we see uh, that's important about Paul. Paul recognized Apollos as an equal. Now, the reason that's important is because it tells us that, that Paul was a team player. Paul was not a uh, you know, he wasn't threatened by other people's gifts. He was blessed by other people's gifts. Now, sadly, that's not always the case with people in leadership. There are some people in leadership who they just they can't have anybody even near them that is, you know, similarly gifted because it's a threat to their ego, and that that's a sad and tragic thing. Um, Paul was not like that. As a matter of fact, Apollos we know from the next few verses here, Apollos went, uh, from Ephesus to, to Corinth and in Corinth, uh, Apollos really, um, was embraced by the Corinthians as an equal with Paul. Now Paul started the church in Corinth, but then Apollos comes after Paul leaves and he instructs them further. So he comes along and, and he, he teaches them. But, but Paul is not jealous of that. Paul is not threatened by that. Paul is thrilled that that was the case. Now, in writing to the Corinthians, what the Corinthians did, because they were upset at Paul, uh, they tried to pit Paul and Apollos against one another. But Paul would not let that happen. But let, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians <laughs> Uh, chapters one and three, uh, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, now this I say that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, who is Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers? So, notice Paul includes Apollos right there with him. Ministers through whom you believed. And now listen to what he says. He says, I planted, he was the one who started the church there. He said, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So you see, Paul acknowledges that Apollos watered. I planted, Apollos watered. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that God used me to plant the church. God used Apollos to help the church grow. And to move forward. So again, we see that there was no threat there. Paul embraced Apollos and basically said, man, thank you, Lord, for bringing this guy along and putting him on the team. Now, back to uh, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos just for a second. So what was it? Now, we don't know exactly what it was that they they imparted to him, but it could be. Now remember, he's eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. So he's a guy who's very uh, capable as a communicator. He's got a great mind. Uh, you know, he's one of those. You know, probably a very intellectual person, and maybe what it was that he was lacking was that empowering of the spirit. And Priscilla and Aquila, they bring that dimension. They recognize, man, this guy has got so much, but he needs that, that power. And I was talking to a friend of mine after the first service who was here, just surprised me by being here today from San Diego. And uh, he pointed this out to me. He said, you know, what you see here." is that we need more than just the intellect. We need the power of the Spirit. Apollos is the intellectual guy, and that's fantastic. And my friend says, and of course, remember, I have a PhD, so I'm not down on the intellect. And uh, he said, but you know, we need more than that. We need more than the, the academics. We need more than just the education. We need more than just the intellectualism. We need the power of the Spirit of God. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's so true. That is so absolutely right. We need the power of God above everything else. And Apollos uh, demonstrated that because as we see after the um, time with Priscilla and Aquila, we see then that he mightily, uh, that's the terms that, that's used there, uh, that he mightily, uh, vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So where does that take us to? Well, it brings us again down to this. Paul recognized that God had given gifts to others that were needed if the gospel was going to advance. And Paul was always looking for people to join his team. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a one-man show with Paul. Now we've just looked at five people. There are many other players that we haven't mentioned. Uh, let me just remind you of just a couple of other ones really quickly. Uh, one would be Luke. Luke is the, is the one who wrote Acts. And although Luke's name never appears in Acts, he's the author of Acts. There's a certain point where he's part of the whole journey in Acts. Uh, but he was a person, again, who Paul brought along and said, hey, come, you know, come and join be part of the team. And then there's a a man named Titus. Now, some of you who are really familiar with your new Testament, you'll know that just like Paul wrote to Timothy, he also wrote to Titus. But an interesting fact is Titus never appears in the book of Acts. So that shows us for one, that the book of Acts is obviously not a thorough uh, explanation of, of everything that was going on in those days. Uh, because Titus, who obviously played a significant role, uh, he's not even mentioned, but Paul writes to him. So, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus are commonly known as the pastoral epistles. They're, they're called that because they're, they're written to guys who were, who were pastoring, and they're basically instruction about how to do that. So, Titus is another person. And then there's a, a woman named Phoebe that Paul mentions who was a deacon. In the church in Centria, which was there in the uh, the area near near Corinth, and uh, Paul talks about her as being a servant of that church and as being a, a co worker with him. So Paul, like I said, he is a person who is looking for team members because he knows that in the end it's not team Paul, it's team Jesus, and. We need all the team players that we can get to complete the mission of advancing the gospel. And that is exactly the case today. So here's a question for you. Are you part of the team? Well, guess what? If you're a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, whether you know it or not, you are part of the team. And so your job is to uh, discover what position you are called to be in on the team. And God will show you that. And he will show sometimes like he did with Timothy. He showed Timothy through prophetic words. People people prophesied over him. Paul laid hands on him. Uh, God will show us that way. Sometimes uh, God will show us by just you know giving us an inclination and then opening up an opportunity we go with that inclination we step in and we find that wow this is this is something that god has called me to do but we as a church collectively we are on that that same mission that paul was on and that mission is to spread the gospel and it's a team effort and you are if this is your church you're you're part of that team So, so what has God gifted you to do? What has God called you to do? What area uh, or areas of service does God have for you? Because listen, this is, uh, this is what we're all, all called to, you know, there, there is no such thing in the scripture of Christian spectators. You know, a person who's a spectator, a person who's just kind of sitting in the bleachers, watching everybody else they're on the field playing the game. Uh, no, that, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We gotta get out of the bleachers and at least onto the bench on the field, and then the coach is gonna call us into the game You know, at a certain point, uh, but, but we have to understand that. And I think you know sometimes we, we don't get that. We, we just think in terms of, well, I go to church. Great, but coming together is really primarily to be strengthened and equipped so we can take what God's given us and enter into the calling and be part of the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Now, most of us, I think, maybe every one of us, we look around at the world we live in, we think it's a mess, and we're right, it is a mess, and we long to see it changed, and we wonder, you know, how is it gonna change? And I think we can pretty much guarantee that it's not gonna change from Washington, D.C. and certainly, certainly in California, it's not gonna change from Sacramento. Uh, how, how, how do things change? How, how can Is it even possible for there to be cultural change? Uh, is it even possible to, to change the direction uh, that, that things are going? There is one possibility and that possibility is that many people would get saved, that people would turn to Christ because when people turn to Christ, their lives turn around. They, they go a different direction, they do different things. And that's what we long to see, but guess what? That doesn't happen by just sitting around wishing it would happen. It happens by people being part of a team and using the gifts that God has given them to engage with the world around us and to impact people's lives. So that's what I'm talking about when I say we are uh, on a mission as the Lord's church, and we've all got to be on board. We've all got to be part of the team. And like, like we have pointed out, you've got Paul, he's kind of the key player, and, but then you've got all of these supporting cast people, and they're all vital to what's happening as well. And, you know, like I've already said as well, you know, some people uh, we, we will never hear of. Some people will never be heard of. But believe me that when we finally arrive in heaven, we're going to find that, man, there were so many people that were doing things in obscurity, that were doing things uh, out, out of the public eye that God called them to do, that were making such an impact on the kingdom that we will we will be amazed and perhaps again that's you gifts talents resources time those are the things that god wants to take and he wants to use to get the gospel out to the world it's a team effort and so let's join together as, as God's team at, at this time and in this place for the furtherance of his kingdom. So the gospel can be spread far and wide in our day. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to recognize that this is a picture of the way you do things. The as we look at the story here and we see how they were done back then, Lord, that it would just remind us that this is what you do today. You're doing this in our day. And Lord, just as you called Silas and Timothy and uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and Luke and Titus and Phoebe and, and many others, just as you called them into your service for the advancement of The gospel in those days. So, Lord, here we are. And we pray that you would make that calling upon our lives clear. Lord, that we would be willing, like Timothy, to uh, suffer uh, discomfort if need be. That we, we would be willing to put ourselves out for the gospel's sake, knowing that we have a great and glorious uh, reward waiting us in heaven as we do that. So help us, Lord. And I just would pray for each person here today and everyone who's listening to the message through whatever means, Lord, that you would help them find their place on the team. Show them Lord, the gifts and the calling that you have for each one, we pray in Jesus' name.